My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning. Sunday school. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you guys are online. It's a little bit different this morning, but we'll get there. So we're in Mark chapter 12 today, as we have been for a and uh, likely, Lord willing, we'll be here a few more weeks. So we'll start with our question that we ask uh, each week, uh, which is, what is God doing in you through his word in the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word in the portion of Mark that we have studied so far. And I'm actually going to contribute to that. But not personally. Convicting you. Convicting you of what? Um, oh, that's a dangerous question. So I'll just you the optional response. Yeah, you don't need to specifically, and uh, painting with a very broad brush, and uh, we'll get to kind of some of that maybe, I don't know, <laughs> just talking to my friend, and we're not in a hurry today, so there's that, um, but this idea that we, somebody has a label, and we just, well, there's, all of them are alike, I think that's actually true, so, uh, yeah, but that's, I think that's the same, which is a, a beautiful thing that the Spirit does for us to not allow us to continue to live in sin. This is a beautiful gift of God. So, what else? What else has God done to you through His Word from the portion of the Mark we've studied so far? Again, with the testimony, that's all. Come, let us kill him, 
and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they said, they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him and said that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? But when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, they are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses in the passage about the bush? How God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbors, oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls himself Lord. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like readings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. 
So just for some context for today, so we're in Mark chapter 12. So Jesus has, has done his ministry out among the people. He has come back uh, to uh, Jerusalem. He has done this several times throughout his ministry. This will be the last trip. Well, I guess it's the next to the last trip to Jerusalem, actually. Uh, there'll, there'll be another. Eschatological joke, but nobody laughs. So. Um, but he has come in in chapter 11, uh, and the question started at the end of chapter 11. So they, they came and challenged his authority at the end of chapter 11. Uh, we have the parable of the talents. Uh, the Pharisees, the Herodians come up to him early in chapter 12. The Sadducees come up. Then we see this last question from a scribe. And from what we know about scribes so far in Mark's gospel, when Mark says the word scribe, what are you expecting? You're expecting a fan of Jesus or an opponent of Jesus? You're expecting an opponent of Jesus, right? And this, this is actually the only time in Mark's gospel where a scribe is not described as really negative and attacking. I worked on that a long time, so that was good. I'm glad you saw game there. It's good. Um, but the scribe is not uh, the scribe is attacking Jesus. It seems to be it seems to be a very honest engagement with Jesus Christ. So we'll we'll take that approach to the text. In the text today, we see Jesus actually affirm this particular scribe and tell him he's close to the kingdom of God. So I'm, I'm not going to take the approach, because there are some who do, that this was a veiled, uh, another attack at Jesus Christ. This appears to be somebody on Jesus' quote-unquote side. Uh, and we know, even in the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Jews, that there were those who secretly were okay with Jesus. It was not a unanimous vote at all times. Um, so this may have been somebody in that structure, but let's, let's start with verse 28. So the text says, and, and one of the scribes, so this is, again, this is unusual because he, he came alone. He didn't come as part of a group. So there's a couple individual things here. So one of the scribes. So one of the things that I have not done until we really got into Mark chapter 12 was going into a lot of detail on what these different groups or individuals or occupations believed and did. I wanted to wait until we saw them all kind of together in Mark chapter 12. So I've got some resources I want to talk about uh, scribes for just a second. Uh, but scribes have a really long history in Israel. It, even at Jesus' time, there was a really long history of Israel. So let me ask you real quick, who's the most famous scribe in the Old Testament? Who's the most famous scribe in the Old Testament? I heard it. I thought I heard it. Maybe I didn't hear it. I'll give you a hint. He has a book named after him. Who? Who? Uh, I keep thinking. I, I hear somebody saying Ezra. It's Ezra. Ezra was a scribe. Right? So scribes had different positions of authority. Scribes were necessary at this time because not everybody could read and write. Many could, but not everybody could. And scribes were necessary for both copying the law, the Old Testament books, all of the associated writings. They were also necessary for any contract that needed to be drawn up 
you got a scribe to do this. Almost every village or, or uh, town would have a scribe. There'd be uh, like village level scribes and town level scribes and then scribes that hung out at the temple. So we're kind of, we're elevating in importance and stature here. Uh, the bigger the city, the bigger the uh, religious center that you were associated with, the more status that you had. Uh, but Israel's got a long history of scribes. The other thing the scribes were responsible for, they, they were the keepers of the oral Torah. So you remember the commentary that we talked about in the last few weeks that the Pharisees uh, believed that the Sadducees didn't. So the Sadducees were only about the five books of Moses. The Pharisees said, yeah, there's five books of Moses. There's the law. There's the prophet. There's all the commentary. There's the commentary on the commentary. There's the spurious works on the side. There's the crazy stuff where it's weird. There's like just all kinds of stuff. The scribes were responsible for keeping up with and making decisions around specific uh, rabbinical judgments about the law. So Rabbi so-and-so who lived 100, 200, 500 years ago said this about this passage. And remember, there's no Google. So if you want to know this, you've got you to have learned it and have access to it intellectually. So this is, if you think about the intellectual ability of these people, it is, it is I'm not going to say a blanket statement, but it is likely above average to be able to do these things on recall. Just, I think that's a pretty safe statement, right? So scribes at Jesus' time had lots of different jobs, and there wasn't a there wasn't a formal training process to become a scribe. There wasn't a, okay, now you're in the club. Like if you wanted to be a rabbi, you went through a very specific sequence of schooling and education, and then you passed a series of tests, and then you were declared to be a rabbi. Not, not really so with scribes. It was you, you do some work, and you kind of get recognized, and people start asking you for this, and you start drawing up some contracts, and then you're kind of numbered as a scribe, and that's the way this worked. Um, so there, there were lots of different things that they were responsible for, but a scribe in the temple walking around, where is this guy in the hierarchical rank? He, he is very high up, right? Uh, could be as high as a member of the Sanhedrin itself. The text likely would have told us this is a member of the Sanhedrin had he been a member of the Sanhedrin, but he would have known all the major players at that so this is a this is a high-ranking person. And to be seen alone with Jesus, not with other scribes, could be interpreted a lot of different ways. Could be interpreted as, well, is he aligning himself with Jesus? Is he attacking Jesus? Because if he's attacking, we need witnesses here. This is why the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Rodians came in groups, because the Old Testament required a witness. They need witnesses to observe what was going on. So it's kind of this, like, what's what's he doing? So this is, of the entire Gospel of Mark, the weirdest outlier passage of what I would say all of Jesus' interactions with anybody and with any social status. Like, this is the really odd. So, with that as the backdrop, what does he do? So, one of the scribes came up and heard them. So, this is the reason why we read an entire chapter and not just... Um, I'm so thankful Bible Gateway finally fixed this. You used to be able to pull up a specific verse, and then you click the, I want to see it in context, and it would give you one verse before and one verse after, which 
No, it's not. <laughs> That's not the context, right? We're not even close to the context. So the context here is Jesus is just coming off the heels of this engagement with the Sadducees. So one of the scribes come up and heard them disputing with one another. So what are we immediately referencing? The, this immediate prior engagement. So we still have this conversation with the Sadducees, which implies the conversation didn't end with them at the end of verse 27, as is the case with virtually all conversations in the Bible. We get snippets and highlights. We get the rock skipped across the top of the water, not a full transcript of everything that, that conspired. And, and I, there are times when I am uh, irritable at the Holy Spirit for not getting us all of this, and there are times when I'm exceedingly grateful. I am exceedingly grateful because we, if we had all of it, I don't know how we would transport the scripture, right? It would just be too much. You certainly wouldn't be able to carry anything around with you. So, so this is the background. I heard them uh, disputing, engaging. This is pragmatic participle, so this is this repetitive kind of habitual disputing and engaging. Uh, and seeing that he answered them well. So uh, let me add some, I'll change the pronouns to nouns. So seeing that Jesus answered the Sadducees well, and this word well here is uh, cloths. It means uh, a morally well. It's not just, yes, that was a good answer. It's like, no, no, no. This was a righteously good answer. This was not the building dead sense. This was a, um, a, a morally, sorry. Welcome to my weird brain. Okay. So he answered them well. He asked him, so he asked Jesus, the scribe is asking Jesus, which commandment? Now don't miss the which, because the which here uh, is a pronoun, but it's a singular pronoun. He's looking for, I want one, right? I want one. So Stephen, I'm going to ask you a question. Which one of your kids is your favorite? Yes. That's a great answer. Stephen answered yes. So you you disagreed with the premise of the question and responded appropriately. Right? Thank you for that. I, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. With the I was going to get a little But but Jesus disagrees with the premise of the question and responds appropriately. And gives us the liberty to do so as well by his example. And we've seen him do this many times in Mark so far. So when we get asked a question by either someone who is honestly seeing or someone who is not honestly seeing, Jesus has exampled for us the opportunity to be more comprehensive in a response. So this is actually loving. This is what kindness. This is what graciousness. This is what truth-telling looks like, is telling the whole truth and not just part of it. So when we think that somebody's trying to trap us, I'm not bound by the limits of your question. Right? This is encouraging. This is really good. So we ask them, which commandment is the most important, or the foremost, the protos in Greek word, uh, the first of all? And, and, and this is, I will tell you, this is where our Western eyes, looking at Eastern literature, really screwed this up because when I, when we say which one's first of all you're probably thinking body to prioritize this which one's at the top of the list and that is absolutely not what he's saying here what he's saying is which one is it could all the others be derived from which one could support all of the others which one is strong enough to encompass the entire conversation now there were a lot of Old Testament laws. Uh, anybody know how many? How many? 
Uh, you're off by 500. 613, yes, 613. Uh, there were um, 365 don'ts, and then whatever, 613 minus 365 do's, right? Uh, and, and it was a popular question amongst the rabbis. I know I didn't do math, right? I know, I didn't do math, it's okay. I didn't do it. It was a, it was a really common question among the rabbis how you answered this question. How you answered this question was a hat tip to whatever rabbinical training you had and what kind of theological bent you, you went for. So the way Jesus answers this question actually doesn't show up anywhere else. Full stop. Now, he takes parts of different answers and combines them in a way that is... Exceed, obviously exceedingly biblical, but his answer doesn't show up anywhere else. And this is actually what the scribe is saying and commenting on, like, oh, you have answered well. Like, this is a, like, oh, okay. Because this scribe hasn't heard this before. He's heard variations of this, but he hasn't heard this one before. So this question comes from a, um, let's see if I can find it real quick. The question comes from one of the famous, nope, not there. One of the famous, uh, Rabbi Hillel, there we go. Uh, he was asked, uh, so Rabbi Hillel would be the equivalent of, uh, who's a commentator you guys have all heard of? J. Vernon McGee, or Matthew Henry, or like just a, like, oh wow, he wrote this down, this is a big deal. This, this is a big deal, Rabbi. So Rabbi Hillel was famously asked one time by a uh, non-Jewish person, convert me to Judaism while I'm standing on one foot. You might be thinking, like, what is, what is that? Well, do it quickly. I don't have all that. Like, how do you do this very quickly? And Hillel's answer was, uh, what you would not want done to you, do not to your neighbor. That is the entire Torah. Everything else is interpretation. Okay. Like, what does that sound almost like? It sounds, yeah, this is actually called the silver rule, <laughs> which I think is kind of weird. But this is the this is the, the opposite of the golden rule. But still a it like what you would not want done to you, do not do to your neighbor. That's a true statement. I think that's that's still a true statement. You don't with that. But what a negative way to look at all of your theology in one sentence. Oh my goodness, how reactionary is this? How, like, what kind of a filter is this guy looking at the world through that you have to say no and not that many times in describing what you believe? This is just a, there's stuff that comes along with that. So there's all kinds of uh, uh, all kinds of examples of what your one sentence response is. So this was a normal question that a rabbi could be expected to get. This was not something that would have surprised. Obviously, nothing would have caught Jesus off guard. But this is not something that would have surprised him in a, like, oh, I've never heard this question before. No, 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 this is a, it's a really typical question. This is the equivalent of today, if you're thinking about visiting a church, you're going to go to their website, you're going to find their statement of beliefs. You know, are we, are we in the, we're playing the snakes game? Are we uh, not, I mean, I, I want to see certain things, I want to not see certain things, right? I'm, I'm evaluating and I'm judging based off of this. And this is, what's your statement of faith, Jesus? So, there's no sense, just the reference. 
So which commandment is the foremost? Which one does everything else hang off of? Well, Jesus answered, the most important. Now, what does Jesus normally do when he's asked a question? He asks a question back, right? What's he not doing here? He answers this guy. So like right away, you just go, ding, 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 something's different here. Yes, something's different. With authentic seekers, Jesus engages differently. This is a big deal. I think it actually might be one of the only ways that we can tell, are you earnest or are you not earnest? Right? Is how he engages. And it gives us this just spectacular roadmap for how to engage with people. Right? The non-earnest, I'm going to start asking you questions, and I'm going to start asking you questions, and I'm just going to, I'm going to pepper them right back to you. Because you're not interested. I don't want to cast girls before slime. This is not where we're supposed to go. But somebody who's actually interested, oh, okay, 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 let's talk about the text. And Jesus takes him straight to the Bible. Jesus answered, the most important is, and if you've been at Spirit Acts more than 20 minutes, you have heard Gary Jerry talk about the Shema, right? So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on the Shema. This is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Jesus summarizes it here beautifully. Hear, O Israel, and this is the present act of imperative. This is the command to be continuously obeyed and never rescinded. So continuously hear, never rescind this process, O Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. So this, don't miss what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not only correctly quoting the Old Testament, he's also talking about himself. So the Lord, our God, me. The Lord is one, me, I'm one. I'm one with the Father. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. He's both stating and showing this truth. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.